Welcome to Sex and Fries, the podcast where we are going to explore aging gracefully as a hot mess and trying to stay sane through it all. Sane-ish. Let's not put too much pressure on ourselves. We gotta have some fun too. envision this going. You're on your way to work and you've got your commute ahead of you and you decide to put on a Sex and Fries podcast episode um, just to kind of get you to where you need to go. And you're sitting back, you're ready to listen and all of a sudden you're realizing that you're listening to a podcast about my vagina. Let me clarify this. The health of my vagina, the story of my vagina, it's going to be a lot of hoo-ha discussions that might actually make sense. But right now you're wondering whether you continue forward and just kind of take the chance of, you know, the roadkill, you know, you once you hear it, you can't unhear it, or you decide to say, oh no, no, that's not for me. I hope you stay with me. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be informative, and I think you'll actually enjoy it. Welcome to your first visit to a gynecologist. Nothing prepares you for this. Nothing. Even my mother going with me, um, introducing me to the doctor, I go into the room by myself. They ask if they want the very, very old nurse to come in with me. And I'm like, yeah, more, more the merrier. The very old doctor that we had, which was actually kind of mean. And you're young, but this is something you're supposed to do. This is like a yearly thing. You are now going to have a yearly visit with a man you do not know. And you have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. So you are left alone to take your clothes off, put on your gown, which no one tells you which way that goes or where it ties up. I never knew what I was doing. And it never made sense. You lay down on the crunchy paper. And you crinkle your way up. And you sit there and you wait patiently for this man to come into the room. And when he does, it's not a hi, how are you? It's a lay down, put your feet in the stirrups, and scoot your butt towards the edge. Now, most women have experienced this, where you're too far up and you have to make sure that all your parts are basically at the edge of that couch, gurney, I don't know, table, bed, whatever you're on. And you crinkle your way down through the paper, try not to rip it, and hopefully just stare at the ceiling and pretend that you are somewhere else. Well, it doesn't always work that way. And you start to imagine the things 
that he's actually seeing? I mean, at the age of 15, or whenever you go, you have no idea what he's looking at. I never took a mirror down there and, you know, made sure that everything was, like, proportioned or looked okay. You know, I, I made sure I had a shower before I went. But seriously, the things that go through your head and you just, you just don't even want to exist. But you get through it with the very, very cold utensils, I'm going to call them. Um, you know, the swabs, the sticking, then there's the fingers, the wiggling, and then there's the hoops up your arse. Um, have a nice day. Everything looks fine. Get dressed. And you just sit there mortified, trying to put your clothes back on as fast as you possibly can. And you just pretend that nothing happened. And you leave. Well, although the first one is terrifying and you really had no idea what was going to happen, even though your mother could explain it to you a thousand times, until you actually experience yourself, you have no idea what's going on. So you get through it, but you're gonna have to do it every year. And you need to do it every year. There's always something, you know, that is gonna come up where taking care of yourself is like gonna be a main priority, which means you're gonna have to go spread your legs put them up on the stirrups, put your big girl panties off, and um, get yourself checked out. When I was, my little stories of the gynecologist were, um, he was also like, you know, my doctor doctor, so, you know, he's like the doctor that did it all. So you had your, your urine tests and your blood tests and all that kind of thing. So um, it was during my high school years and I had to bring a urine sample to the doctor. It was an early morning, you know, before you go to class um, situation. And it was quite a ways away from where I lived. So I was riding my 10 speed. And usually to go over the bridge, I walked my bike over it. And, you know, you always carried your purse. And I had a urine sample in my purse. And I'm walking over a bridge, um, you know, pushing my bike. And I realized that my purse is leaking. And I had somehow got this urine sample pouring out of my purse, you know, trailing behind me. Um, I don't remember if I ever got it on me, and I'm sure I did. I had to go to school after this appointment. Anyways, I did not end up at my appointment with this urine sample. And this doctor was not the nicest man in the world. And I was actually lectured that now we had to spend time to gather another sample. Um, which, I mean, why not? I didn't know the big deal. But anyways, I never really told anybody. Well, I told my mother that I needed a new purse um, and pretty much everything that I owned. But... It's just one of those things that you go through that are just so embarrassing, especially when you're like, you know, I, I'm thinking 15. But I also had, um, you know, one of those checkups where I go and 
you know, when you have your, your period and stuff, you're more susceptible to like a yeast infection, you know, so you have to kind of go through that trauma. I called it trauma. I mean, this is, it's like, yuck. But when you're talking to the doctor about it, you, he gave me a piece of paper and at the top of it was called Sandbox Sally, which is pretty much a story on how to take care of your vagina and its health and not to, um, use scented toilet paper to when to change your, you know, your pad or your tampon, um, washing soaps, uh, a whole pile of stuff. And it was done to be, I guess, in a funny manner, but it's sort of like you felt kind of skimy with the whole, you know, oh, here's a piece of paper called Sandbox Sally. And you're not to be a sandbox, Sally. So I always found it kind of like, ew, like, thanks a lot for making me feel, you know, less than fresh. But I think things have changed now, and there's more open, open conversations about, you know, different things that you can use. Plus, they don't really sell things that are scented. And you just kind of like know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was wondering, like, how did women, like, get through the 50s? Like, did they, were they, like, using, you know, Monistat every two weeks? Like, what was going on there? Anyways, just some stories about, you know, a gynecologist. I put it out there for a question. Um, and I got some responses from some really cool women um, that when I got older, I laid down on the table and I looked up and there was a half-dressed male, you know, the muscles, you know, like a Chippendale kind of poster on the ceiling that I was to look at while another man was sticking things and prodding inside of like my business. I got a response that some uh, gynecologist told her that her lady bits looked good for what it had been through. I'll just be like, I'd be a little confused about that one, but it's sort of like, thank you? Like, what do you say about that? Uh, I had a story with, um, when she went to the gyno appointment when she was only 16 and her gynecologist told her that she should be a farmer's wife because she had childbearing hips and they looked very sturdy. I'm not quite sure what farmers do to their wives that they need to be sturdy, but again, when someone says this to you, do you just nod and say thank you and move on? I'm not quite sure. I really have, like, no idea. Another lady told said that her gynecologist said that she had nice ovaries. And she had no idea about the proper response to that. And, you know, especially when you're just splayed open on this cold table with crinkly paper it's like thank you thank you for appreciating 
the ovaries and the sturdiness of my hips and how well my vagina has been, you know, going through these years and is still holding up and looking good. Something else that is amazing about the female anatomy is what it goes through uh, during childbirth. Um, you know, the whole pregnancy, pushing the limits to your body. Pregnancy is supposed to be wonderful and beautiful, and it is. I mean, you get a baby, your child. But there's also some things that your body goes through that it never recovers from. It has taken into account that it has been pushed to its limits, stretched, prodded, torn open. I mean, the things that go on there. Yes, I know. Too much information. But seriously, childbirth can do a lot of things to the body and everybody has a different experience from it. Some women go through it and they don't end up with any stretch marks. They didn't need to be sewn up. Um, no drugs, the natural thing. I don't know who these women are. Never met them. I've always sat around with friends and compared, you know, pregnancy stories or giving birth stories and they're horrifying. It's like you never tell a new mother, like a new you know, someone who just found out they're pregnant, you don't tell them the stories about, you know, the birth. They're terrifying. And they don't really need to know because they're going to go through something totally different. My first baby, I was 24 years old when I was pregnant, and I had a nine, two, nine pounds, two ounces. And it's a little, this little girl, she wasn't a little baby, but she was a little girl. And I can't believe that I actually had a second child with the, what the first one had me go through. But one thing that I ended up with was a lot of scarring because when I went in to have my, my first baby, it was in a teaching hospital in Halifax. So that means that there was like an audience the doctor was, had students, so they sat around, I guess, taking notes, um, I'm not quite sure, but they had, something went wrong that when I pushed and he was trying to do the episiotomy that, um, not, yeah, ectomy, episiotomy, I'm not quite sure, um, whatever they think they were doing with a knife down there. Uh, he had, I had pushed and you're not supposed to push the same time that you have a scalpel, um, to your vagina. You're just not supposed to. And I did. And I was ripped from one end to the other, literally, and ended up with over 20 stitches between, I guess what you would call your, what some people call your taint wasn't eight anymore. So... They had a student, um, 
this is a really gory story, isn't it? Anyways, this, there was a student that I guess needed to practice um, sewing, and he started to uh, stitch me up. Then the other doctor, like my doctor, that was supposed to, or should have, or shouldn't have, since he screwed it up in the first place, came over and told him that this, he was stitching it up wrong. So I'm not quite sure what he was stitching. I don't Things might have been different today if, you know, they hadn't corrected it, I guess. But, so then they had to take the stitches out. So by this time, uh, my husband at the time and my baby were taken to go, you know, uh, get cleaned up and, you know, check the baby over and my husband could, you know, see the baby and, and experience all that. Meanwhile, I had still had my, you know, feet up on the stirrups. I was still sitting there. I had been in, um, labor for almost 12 hours. Um, I had, had an epidural, so I was kind of like numb, but not numb and tired and hungry and cranky as old hell. And they sat there and took the stitches out and then they restitched it or the, the other doctor came in and showed him how to do it. So I'm into the blind faith situation here where, you know, like it's gotta be right now, right? Like they can't keep doing that. And then they had to, when they were started cleaning up and the doctors and the students pretty much, I guess, had, you know, done their job. I had nurses cleaning stuff up. My feet are still in the stirrups, but they have to count sponges. So they can't find one. And my thought is, even though I was tired and exhausted, it's like, did they sew a sponge into my body? Like, they seriously could not find it after it. Like, it was, then, all of a sudden, breath of relief, they found the sponge. So, I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is good times. So, I've, I get home, I spent a few days in the hospital, I get home, I sit on donuts, I go through sits baths, I had a bitch of a time trying to heal my bits back up to at least a recognizable, um, like, part of my body, um, and a usable. I was like, I don't think anybody's going to be touching that again. But it all worked out. I did heal, and I actually had a second baby a couple years later. Um, so obviously, I got over it. But over the years, I I have like gained some, you know, a scar tissue and probably some things. You know, everything kind of works, so I'm okay. But I can't imagine some of the stories in childbirth and what your body. I mean, it goes through a lot on its own, but you have to trust a medical team um, to make sure that you're going to be fine for years later. And there's a lot to it. And it never goes back to be the same again. You've, you've crossed that path from, you know, 
vagina fine, vagina child torn up business crap. Women will go through quite a few pap smears and examinations over the years um, to make sure that their health uh, is going to be fine. There's a lot of cancers, conditions, uh, things like that that can be caught very early. So I think it's very important to make sure um, that everything works fine and there's nothing there that's going to make you like sick but during um that when you find you know that there is something wrong it's it's terrifying and a lot of women will have a condition or something when they're done having children or they just have to go through a hysterectomy uh so that you don't have your period anymore you uh, don't have your uterus. Sometimes your ovaries are taken with it and sometimes it's not. Um, but you, you get rid of stuff that, you know, was causing problems or that could cause problems from for years ahead of you. So I had um, endometriosis. I'm not, still not sure if I say that right. Um, I think from the beginning, you know, since I started my period, they were always nasty. I had a bitch of a time with them continuously throughout the years. And it finally came to a point where I had to have surgery because I was anemic. I mean, it was ridiculous what I went through every month. And I could barely move for over a week. Um, yeah, so it became something where it just it had to be done I was young I was like my mid-30s but I you know I had my two kids so I was good I was good to go and so usually when you go for a hysterectomy or a partial as sometimes I'm corrected that you usually can go home the next day or you go uh you stay the night and you're you know, you're perfectly fine. Or you go home that day, maybe. Not sure. And I woke up, well, kind of woke up after my surgery that was supposed to be like, you know, look at split, you know, have a nice day. Um, in ICU, where the doctor had nicked a vein and I was starting to bleed out. And so after they stabilized me and, you know, got to back where, you know, my blood pressure wasn't like uh, deathly low, I went back in and had another surgery, which became a major surgery, well, not major, but, you know, well, more than just what it was, should have been, a lot more scarring and it was mostly repair work. They also tested to make sure that one of my kidneys hadn't been nicked. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the heck he was doing the first time, uh, but uh, someone should have gave him a breathalyzer, I think. So anyway, so I spent almost a week in the hospital and had, you know, a lot of recovery time. It was so painful and a lot of bruising, but 
one things that a lot of things a lot of things that women go through um with hysterectomies and any kind of surgery um and that it kind of stays with you i found out that endometriosis it still can cause pain even after the surgery and there's growth like on different parts of your body that can still cause you pain. I do recommend finding a doctor that listens to everything, no matter how crazy you sound sometimes. It's hard to explain to a doctor what you're feeling. Um, especially if it's a male doctor, because I mean, he's never going to understand it. I mean, he's never felt it. But even a female doctor that's not gone through something like that, it's really important to make yourself understood. I always had a problem with that where they kind of just seem to push you out of the room without you actually explaining or getting your point across. Where it's, I spent years, like, you know, um, you know, being on the pill or having a DNC or, you know, tests and all stuff that could have been prevented. Now there's a lot more out there that women can like search for or discuss, which is really good, but it's also still not talked about as much as it should be. At least I don't think it is. There's things that I go through with my daughters and it's very important to be comfortable talking about uncomfortable conversations. They have to be done. It has to be looked at. Uh, doctors are hard to see these days. Um, you know, they always seem where you've got months ahead before you can actually like get looked at. And even though you might think that there's something, oh, it's just in my head or it's just my period or this is just something I've always gone through or anything that you think that might be normal, if it is in your head and you're concerned, or even if you just have it forefront in your mind, you need to talk about it, talk with friends, talk with parents, and talk with your medical person now, and make sure that you're on top of it. I lost my mother to cancer, um, endometrial cancer, and... It was supposed to be a cancer that was uh, easy, easy to get rid of, easy to treat. She'd have a hysterectomy. We'd, you know, get rid of all of that stuff, um, you know, go through some recovery time and we would have moved on. It wasn't what happened at all. So I think we went to different hospitals and different doctors but the point that we actually had to go to so many different people and tell the same story or to try to explain the pain or what we felt or all that stuff, it's you're not in a familiar place anymore with familiar faces to talk to. And I think it's a fight that you need to really focus on and and get yourself looked at and make sure that although doctors might be in a position where they're supposed to know more than you 
um, they need to be accountable. They need to be held up to standards. And this is your life that they're dealing with. And you have to trust them with your life and your bits for the proper care and standing up to a doctor or telling them that they're wrong or challenging them is a huge deal. If you feel it in your guts, I can't stress it enough from everything that I've gone through. And I've wished that um, I would have stood up for myself and or had somebody, you know, fight for me when I was when I was unable. So there's your, you know, healthy hoo-ha lecture for the day. Um, take care of that precious thing. It is what makes it you. Um, and I'm talking about your whole body. That is your, the thing that you live in. It's your palace and it's worth it. It's going to be worth it for years. So I'm going to leave you with some thoughts about taking care of your vagina, your hoo-ha, your coochie, whatever you want to call it. I'm not calling it a vajayjay because I don't know what that even means. But I'm going to leave you with some investigation things here that make sure you're using products that make sense and not just because the commercials tell you to. That you've owned this part of your body you've taken care of it for years and you know what you're doing and I find that there's so many things on the market these days that kind of um don't make any sense sometimes I saw a commercial about I can't remember what it was called um I think Vagisil made it I'm not don't remember but this woman had this uh, peach scented spray in her purse and she was sitting in a diner and she realized that she needed to go to the bathroom and spray her hoo-ha so that it smelt better. I'm not quite sure why you have this need to get up from, you know, sitting with friends having lunch, um, you know, and just go to the bathroom to make sure your vagina's fresh. Didn't make sense to me. Thought it was strange. Um, but there's so many things out there that they try to sell you. Um, I mean, go ahead and use them if you want. But make sure they make sense to you. And that they're not going to cause you any harm. And I don't think people um, can smell you. Uh, when you're just walking around, like shopping and all that kind of stuff, that we need to focus on <laughs> things like this. But, you know, maybe I'm out of touch. I don't know. Anyways, I'll leave you with take care of your vagina. Hold it dear. <laughs> Stay sexy. I am so glad that you were able to join me for another episode of Sex and Fries.
please tune in for another one very shortly. Go to the website. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Stay true to yourself. Stay beautiful and always be sexy.